0: Family, it's 2024. Isn't that crazy? We remember many of us watching movies about what the crazy, futuristic 2020s would consist of. Here we are, still going, and things are not so bad, all things considered, right? I mean, we're not overtaken by robots yet. And in the movies, we were done by now, right? So not too bad. I saw a meme online recently with two heads in dialogue. One says to the other, wake up. It's 2024. Christianity is so obsolete. The second head replies, 2024 years since what? The first head responds, grr. It's a funny meme with much to seriously consider. It's been 2,024 years since A.D. 1. That does not stand for after death. It stands for Anno Domini, Latin for in the year of our Lord, and refers to the birth of Jesus. BC, meaning before Christ, represents the era of humanity that existed before the birth of our Lord. This is the age-old Julian and Gregorian calendars, the standard by which all of humanity across the globe sets their clocks to. That means that all the fireworks all over the world that you saw last year, uh, last week, are celebrating 2,024 years since the birth of Jesus, whether we like it or not. Now, I know we don't honor the birth of Jesus at New Year's because the reality is it's been literally 2,000 years since he's been here. That's an ancient thing. He's not here anymore. Hasn't been in forever. So does that mean that Christianity is indeed becoming more and more obsolete as time passes? Seriously. So much has changed in 2,000 years. Even the use of A.D. Let's just go with C.E. now. Common error. Jesus is long gone. If you're saying to yourself right now, no, it's not true. He's not gone. And Christianity's not becoming obsolete. Well, then I ask you, prove it. Isn't the church in decline in America? Sounds like obsoletism to me. How do you know that Jesus is alive and still at work in the world? How do you know? Someone's got to be saying to themselves right now, I thought you were with us. (laughs) I am. But we have got to understand the mindset of the world around us and sometimes even within us. Huh? Let's be real. Is all this really true? How do we know for sure? Something to think about. As Brian mentioned, this morning we launch our new series, In the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. This book is a record of the great works, acts, deeds, works of the first followers of Jesus and was likely composed at some point between A.D. 60 and A.D. 90 in the first century. In other words, the contents and impact of this book have stood the test of time. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Think about it. Here we are, 2,000 years later, gathering, what, 300 of us to read this book. Why aren't we doing that with the Iliad or the Odyssey? What's inside this book? The book of Acts serves as a kind of bridge between the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. It illustrates for us the background and developments of the early church in the first century Greco-Roman world. This historical account is integral for our understanding of all the New Testament letters from Romans to Revelation. Let's crack it open. Let me pray, and then the ushers will come forward. You can put your hand up if you don't have a Bible in hand you'd like to read along. Scripture will be up on the screens. Let's pray as we enter into this new series and ask the Lord to bless his word. Lord Jesus, we look to you because you have the words of eternal life. We look to you in your word now, Lord. Give us eyes to see and hear the beauties of who you are and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to read Acts chapter 1, the first five verses. Okay, you can put your hand up, and uh, if if you'd like to have a Bible in hand, the ushers will give you one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, right from the start, we have some more contextual notes to make. This book is the second volume from Luke the gospel writer and great physician who accompanied the Apostle Paul on many of his missional journeys. We know this because Luke begins his gospel, his first book, with this opening line. It seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's how Luke starts his gospel. So Luke has written two major accounts to Theophilus. We're not sure exactly who this guy is. We're not sure exactly what his status was or what his relationship to Luke was, but based on the greeting of the gospel, most excellent, and the extensive work produced for this man, we can be pretty sure that he was a man of either civil or religious influence, and someone who genuinely wanted to learn more about the person and work of Jesus, Some think maybe he was a a primary funder, a supporter of of this huge project of Luke to to gather all this history and all these accounts. Luke also must have known that through Theophilus, this work would reach the larger Christian community. Hence why we still have it today. What's important to note right in verse 1 is that Luke makes it clear In my first book, Luke's Gospel, I addressed all that Jesus began to do and teach. Which naturally implies, in this second volume, the Acts, he will address all that Jesus continues to do and teach. But through his Spirit and his Church, The doings and teachings of Jesus will be the thread woven throughout this book. John Calvin calls this the holy knot of kingdom ministry, which may not be dissolved, doing and teaching. The needle that drives this thread throughout the book is the Holy Spirit of Christ himself, which we will see. Verses 1 through 5, what we have here, what we just read, serve as a prologue to the book, an introduction in a sense, in which Luke is basically recapping where he left off in his gospel. Luke says In my first book, I taught, I taught you all about, I taught you about all that Jesus said and did until the day that he was taken up. Referring to the ascension of Jesus, which we'll get to in a bit. He says in verse 3 After Jesus' sufferings and death, he resurrected from the dead and presented himself alive, proving his resurrection to his disciples. This, of course, is, rec- is recorded in Luke 24. The final chapter of Luke, on Easter Sunday, we have three accounts of his appearing to his disciples to prove to them he is alive. The Apostle Paul, later in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 15, says that at one point he appeared to over 500 people at the same time for proof. Proof of his resurrection will be vital. To the ministry of the disciples soon to come. Because the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin that holds all Christian teaching together. The resurrection. If that is true, then all other Christian teachings can be and are indeed also true. Now, Luke notes that Jesus was with the apostles for 40 days in his resurrected state, all while teaching them about the kingdom of God. The number 40, of course, is very significant in Scripture and denotes a time of preparation for kingdom ministry. Think of the 40-day flood before the new beginning. Upon the earth. Think of Moses 40 years in Midian before his call. Moses 40 days on Mount Sinai twice before the covenantal era of Israel's time. For Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. Elijah fasting and trekking in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus fasting in the wilderness for 40 days before he. Begins his kingdom work. And here we have the apostles being taught for 40 days. The significance of the number 40 at all these points is preparation. For new stages of kingdom ministry. Now at each one of these points, there's, a lot, there's, there's other stuff going on like purification, testing, uh, trials, that kind of stuff. But ultimately what we see f- throughout scripture is at each one of these 40s, there's a kind of preparation for new stages of kingdom ministry. Jesus prepared for 40 days for his ministry recorded in the Gospels so the disciples must prepare for 40 days for their ministry recorded right here in the Acts. Jesus is preparing them for the transfer of mission here. We just studied this in our recent series, The Church on Mission. Jesus tells his disciples in the Gospels, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you now. During their 40 days together, Jesus gives them commands through the Holy Spirit, verse 2 tells us. The Holy Spirit steps forward by verse 2 in the book. He's already front and center. Luke tells us in his gospel in chapter 4 that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives them commands here and teaches them about the kingdom of God. The content of these teachings are likely the same as the teachings found in Luke 24 at the end of the gospel, after his resurrection, where Luke records that Jesus began to teach the disciples, remember, especially the two on the road to Emmaus, how All that is written in Scripture from Moses to the prophets was pertaining to him. Now, a note to take for the rest of the series. The word gospel, the gospel will be used interchangeably throughout the book with kingdom. Okay? And what's also important to note is that teachings on the kingdom sandwich the whole book. The book opens up with Jesus teaching about the kingdom and closes in Acts 28 with Paul in Rome spending day and night teaching about the kingdom. What's interesting to note there uh, to reinforce what I believe the content of these teachings is that in, in Acts 28, if you take a look for yourself, it says Paul spent day and night teaching about the kingdom showing how everything written in the law of Moses through the prophets was pertaining to Jesus. Jesus is preparing his disciples with instruction through the Holy Spirit. And verse 4, while staying with them, interesting note here, this phrase literally means while eating with them, more proof, That he's a real glorified man he orders them to stay in jerusalem make sense center of worship and wait for the promise of the father which you heard from me and then he recalls john the baptist's words in luke 3. remember john the baptist calling out in the wilderness I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus is telling them it's time. Time for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he says, you've heard this from me. So we, like the disciples, toggle through all of Jesus' words. That's right. The upper room discourse. In the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16, over and over again, Jesus tells his disciples, I will be leaving soon, but don't worry. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says, it is to your advantage that I leave because when I leave, then the helper will come to you and will be with you and will be in you. The helper. Three times in those chapters, Jesus points toward the helper who is to come. Some translations translate that word advocate. Also very good. Another name for the Holy Spirit. This unique word for helper, parakletas or paraclete, it's a Greek word which actually is a legal term of its day. It refers to power, like the power of attorney, legal support to help you stand, protected with confidence in the face of adversity and opposition. You have nothing to fear, disciples. My spirit of power will be with you and in you. He will help you. Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Luke are, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I don't know about you, but if I heard those words, I'd be like, can I get some of that? Clothed with power from on high? Let's read on now to discover the purpose of this spiritual power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, so remember, in the first five verses, Jesus is preparing his disciples for their ministry, and here it is made very clear what he wants them to do. It's a great commission passage right here, one of five in the New Testament. We also saw that in this fall's Church on Mission series. And in it, in these verses, we see three essential components given to them for their mission. Christians are like war planes, classic war planes. Just as Warplanes need essential components to successfully accomplish their various missions, so the disciples will need at least three components to successfully fulfill their mission. All three of these components can be identified in the three promises marked in the following verses by the word will, all right? We're going we're to observe them. Look at six through eight. First, the disciples ask Jesus a very fair question. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? He just told them it's time for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they appropriately recall passages like Joel 2 and other Old Testament prophecies that point forward to a day when God will pour out his spirit upon all his children and once again restore the kingdom to Israel. But the disciples likely understood this to be a national political restoration. That's what they were familiar with in their history. And Jesus redirects their focus. He doesn't deflect the question entirely, but he answers in a much more developed way, I believe. He's saying the timing of your full restoration, the final day of the Lord, is not for you to know when. But now, now I am regathering you and restoring you as my people, Israel, right now, with a renewed purpose to be a light to the nations. He's fulfilling and extending the promise of Isaiah 49 right here. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. My kingdom has come and you're going to spread my salvation and advance my kingdom to the ends of the earth. That's his answer. That's where he wants them to focus. Their renewed identity and purpose in him. I've called you in and now I'm sending you out on mission. And here... Are two of the three components given to fulfill their mission. One, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They need power for their mission. Just like a warplane needs fuel to accomplish its missions, so we need empowerment spiritual fuel to accomplish this great objective. And what's their objective? Two, you will be my witnesses. They're given purpose here, renewed purpose, to witness to all the world of the gospel of Jesus. Remember, the mission of the church from our series, to proclaim and demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. Doing and teaching the gospel. That's what it means to witness. Not seminary level debating from the Greek. Simply showing and sharing the hope of the gospel, the love of Christ, the reality of who He is and all that He's done for us. Witnessing. When I first came to Christ, I was shot out. My brain was a mush ball, a noodle. I was shot out. And all I can remember was that for at least a whole year straight, all I could say was, he's real. He's really real. I mean, like I had an idea and stuff, but he's real, really, really real. Look at what he's done to me. No academics whatsoever, just a witness. And as a matter of fact, the Lord in his great sovereign grace would happen to draw about three others to himself through that testimony, including my own father coming to Christ just six months later, astounded by what God can do with a broken man. Now, witness. Verse 8 here. Is effectively the theme verse of the book. Verse 8, we will watch the gospel advance from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the inhabited world. This will happen by the power of the Holy Spirit fueling the church to move out as witnesses of the gospel. This is important to note because these are promises here. They're promises. God is saying, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. These are my plans, my purposes. They will be accomplished. In other words, this mission is unstoppable. God's Spirit is unstoppable, and therefore his church will be unstoppable. And there you have our theme for the series. He is with us. Now, before we move on to the third component for our mission, it's important that we clarify who the you is, who receives this power from on high to be a witness. Jesus is talking to his apostles here, for sure. But this mission, as we've seen in the Gospels, is given to his church. All who look to Him, Christ Jesus, and believe in Him. When you come to Jesus by faith in Him, you are born again into new spiritual life, baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized into the family of God forever. The Spirit of God Himself, dwelling in you to cause you to love him and live for him all of your days. When you believe in Jesus, you will love him and love others just as he loved you. That's what the power's for. Oh, we love the sound of power. Give me some of that. But it's not the type you may think. This is the power to love, like Jesus loves. The power to love God, love one another, and witness confidently in the world around us to the truths of the gospel. When people mock you and revile you, the power to respond in gentleness, reasonableness, to truly love, even our enemies for Jesus' sake. Now it makes a little more sense, doesn't it? We don't need power to fight. Oh, no. We got enough of that. We need power to love like Christ. That's the only way we live as true witnesses of the gospel. Christians receive power for Christ-exalting witness. For our witness, that's the purpose for the power we receive from on high. The third essential component given to fulfill our mission, a two-blade propeller. Track with me. Let's read verses 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up of Christ. A most pivotal moment in redemptive history. At Christmas, Jesus descends to earth to redeem humanity. And after his redemptive work, his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, he ascends back to the Father enveloped in a cloud. This is the fulfillment of Daniel 7, the Son of Man coming on the clouds to the Ancient of Days. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom everlasting in which all people, nations, and tongues would serve him. Daniel 7. The ascension of is the coronation of our king in heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth is his, and he is with us. That's big. That's huge. To know that King Jesus reigning in heaven is with us here on earth should propel us on mission for his sake. It should. A careful reflection of that great truth should propel us on mission for his sake. That's one blade of the propeller. Verse 11. The disciples see him go up, and they're stunned, staring into heaven. So two angels appear and give them a gentle rebuke. Just like the end of Luke's gospel. Remember? The disciples show up at the tomb and the angels are standing there. What are you looking for? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He told you. He's alive. Right here? What are you staring at? Why are you standing there? That same Jesus who went up just as you saw him go will come back in the same way. Go. Third will. He will come back. There's a timeline. Ascension, return. Tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. Go. The propeller is wound up. Now take off. The late, great Tim Keller notes that the ascension of Jesus is the very detonator that takes all that Jesus accomplished on earth and releases it explosively throughout the world. The ascension is the climax of the Gospels, and Acts marks a new beginning, the church age. He goes up. His spirit comes down, next chapter, and the gospel explodes throughout the earth. The two-blade propeller that keeps us on mission is his ascension and his return. We now live in an age of witness, the age. There's only one. We live in the age of witness. The power of the Spirit propelling his church with Christ-exalting purpose. Three components, power, propeller, and purpose. But it's been 2,000 years, Austin. How do we know if all this is still true, still alive and active today? It's 2024. Look at the witnesses. You're the proof. You, witnesses of the same gospel in the same spirit, of the same Christ. Speak, family. Our king reigns over all. He is with you. He's coming back. His promises are sure. You can stand on them. Now move out. If the church is in decline at all, it's likely because we have lost our sight of purpose, our identity. Have we forgotten what it means to be a witness? It's why we're still here, still. It's why he hasn't come back yet. He wants more and more to come to him. It's what he died for. Do you want that for him? We are witnesses of his great grace on our behalf. Amen? Four days ago, a brother from this church sent me this text. Austin, I've been feeling and noticing more growth in my spirit. I speak with him throughout the day. I pray more. I notice changes with my temperament. It's so encouraging, Austin, to physically see the changes he is making in me and all around me. I feel truly blessed, Austin. God is great. All caps, exclamation, 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 exclamation. Yes. Preach that from the rooftops, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, at your workplaces, in your schools. Jesus is alive. You're the proof. No need to fear. He is with us. Christians are empowered with Christ-exalting purpose. We have identity and purpose in Him. Christians are empowered with Christ-exalting purpose. Let's live it out, family. Those who look to Him will be radiant. They will never be ashamed. Amen? Pray, family. Pray with us as we launch this new series and enter into the new year. Pray that the Lord would give us all opportunities in all our various spheres of influence in the community and the world around us. Pray for opportunities to show and share the love of Christ and the hope of the gospel. Pray, commit with us to pray for opportunities and take them. Do and teach. Speak and do. This is our great commission so that he would be glorified and scripture says, Our joy will be made full. That's a promise directly linked to our mission. Do you want that? That's what I want. That's what I, that's what we pray for you all, for us all. So I invite you to pray and look in the days ahead. Pray for opportunities. Take them do and teach the gospel, he will be glorified. Our joy together would be complete. Amen? Join me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we look to you. You are our king in heaven, unchanging. Our country changes kings day in and day out, so it feels. Nothing to rely on across the land that we dwell in. Nothing to rely on across the world we dwell in. We look to you, our ascended high priest and king. You are altogether glorious, altogether good, and you are with us. Lord, thank you. We need nothing else in this life, so would you fill us up with your Holy Spirit, we pray. For those in this room today who do not know you, Lord, who do not know the fullness of joy, the fullness of life that you purchased for us on the cross, Awaken faith, Lord. Enlighten the eyes of their hearts. And for us who do know you and walk with you, strengthen our faith today. Fill us up. Send us out as bold as lions, as gentle as lambs, witnessing to the grace and truth of you, our Lord and King. We pray that you would be glorified and our joy would be made complete. And all God's people said together with one voice, Amen and amen. God bless you all. Now, I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. If anyone has anything in this new year on their chest that they'd like to come pray with, share with the elders, pray right now. Maybe you want to talk more about what it looks like to follow Jesus more intentionally in this next year. Our elders will be up front and to the sides. Please come forward. We'd love to see you. God bless you all. Have a great week.